Hello, everyone, and welcome to One Twelve Four Podcast, episode one hundred and fifty-six. Benjamin Yoder here today, talking about video games. Um, I'm not going to really talk about any games I've been playing uh, lately this week. I got a lot of news stories lined up. I will say, <laughs> so if you if you were following um, uh, the the stream situation last week, you know I said I was going to try to fix my Wii's DVD drive. Uh, when I checked in on it like a year ago, uh, the system was still working. It would power on, and and it would still it was in the the state it was when I originally, uh, I guess you could say, decommissioned it, where the the DVD drive itself just wouldn't read anything. So I bought a DVD drive and was like, okay, this would be a fun, cool project to do. Um, and so I was setting up the night before to to be ready to to try to do that. Uh, and unfortunately, the system did not power on anymore. Well, it, it powered on briefly. Uh, but nothing came out of the video outport or anything like that. And then I tried to sync a controller to see if, like, maybe, you know, the system was running, but I just wasn't getting any video out. Um, and that didn't work. And so I powered it off uh, and then tried to power it back on, and it wouldn't power back on after that. So <laughs> so I'm not really sure what happened. So in a in a quick and, and probably not very smart decision... Uh, I decided to buy another Wii, so that is actually, it's already been delivered, I sent it to the office on accident, so it's actually at my work right now, um, so I, I should be going in next week, so I'll be able to grab it, uh, at some point, and then be like, cool, hey, here's a Wii, <laughs> got this, got this figured out, it's a similar situation with the GameCube, where my HDMI adapter for my GameCube stopped working, and then I was like, uh, well, I guess I gotta buy something else to make, <laughs> to get 480p out of this thing. So I bought some, uh, I think it's the, called the, the, not the Carby HDMI adapter, but the same company, uh, Insurrection, I believe. I bought the component cables for that for my GameCube, and, uh, those, those seem to work. So it just seems like the HDMI adapter I had bought, like, three or four years ago died out. So, um, and I, and I used it a little bit on stream. I played a little bit of, a bit, little played a little bit of Tower of Juraga uh, using that, and because I was doing component cables, I could do 240p out uh, easily with Tower of Juraga, so I got to do that. That was that was fun. Never played Tower of Juraga before. No idea what's going on with that game, really. I know there's, like, a lot of hidden stuff and, like, things you just gotta kind of know to progress, but uh, I think we got to, like, the third or fourth floor or something like that, and I was like, okay, cool, 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 cool. I mainly wanted that thing because it was a Botan Kaito's uh, pre-order bonus, <laughs> so, and I'd been wanting it for years, and I think it was, like, 10 or 15 bucks when I got it in Japan. There's quite a few copies that were around. I think the one I got actually might have been new, so it might have been slightly more expensive. Um, but but yeah, so those those are the things that happened in terms of the hardware world of Ben last week. <laughs> but yeah, so rolling into those news stories. Uh, first is a, a triple hit of Dragon Quest games, kind of. They're all based around one thing. Uh, there's Dragon Quest, and I think this might only be the console game's name, Infinity Strash. Uh, as far as I can tell, it looks like it's basically based off, uh, some Dragon Quest anime. I know there was a Dragon Quest anime a long time ago, but I think there might also be a, a revival of that anime in some form. The character design looks very similar to what I was familiar with from back then or whatever. So they're doing, like, a series of games. One is a, a arcade game, which, as you can probably expect, is a card-based game. And basically you have these cards of characters, and you can move them around this, uh, this, uh, I guess you call it panel, and um, and then so you can reposition your characters on this field and and move them around that way, which I, I think is something that's somewhat common in Japan. I, I I feel like I've definitely seen games that have like cards that you basically put on a table and you can kind of move them around the table, uh, versus like a, a, a aikatsu or a uh, a tokodol where you're just scanning the cards or something like that. Um, and then there's also a phone game as well, which uh, seems to be kind of like a more 
I guess you could call it like a, a uh, real-time RPG where everyone's in like uh, these three rows and there's like three, like a nine by nine or three by three square uh, that they kind of move around. And so you can kind of like actively move characters during combat, which is kind of kind of neat that I, li- I like the look of that. The fact like obviously you can do that in most normal RPGs that are turn-based, but in the case of this one, it seems like you're actively moving around during combat. Um, so I think that's kind of a neat little thing. Uh, and then finally, there's the console game, which seems to be kind of like a top-down uh, hack-and-slash kind of thing. I'm slightly interested in that one. Um, I, I don't think they've announced any particular console. It looks fine. I like action RPGs. That's probably why I'm interested. I would not say it's like something that I'm desperate to to check out or try. Um, I'm definitely... There's, there's you know, the 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 anime is based around like three characters as far as I can tell. So, and then the... the uh, gameplay it looks like the three characters were running around so i'd be curious to see if that turns out to be some kind of three-player multiplayer thing you can do i thought they were gonna i thought they were gonna do that with secret of mana uh when that came out remake like have an online mode where you can play multiple characters but they uh did not do that i think you could still do it locally in secret of mana the remake but but not online so so it'd be nice if that turns out to be the case it's weird though because um aesthetically it's 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 different than most dragon quest games it's definitely I don't know if it's Toriyama doing the art for it, but it looks like I know Dragon Quest and Dr- Dragon Ball Z have like the the same artist between them, but but something about it looks more Dragon Ball to me. I don't know I don't know how to put my finger on it, and it it just everything looks a little off for Dragon Quest. I don't I don't know how the best way to put it in uh in words, but it's definitely still reminiscent of that style at the very least, and it still is a fairly good looking game. Although I say the console game looks a little um. A little rougher on the edges. I don't think they've announced a release date or anything yet. I mean, they haven't specified the consoles. Um, but but I'll be curious to see that when it when it actually comes out and comes around. Uh, speaking of release dates, there's also and Square Enix, I guess. Square Enix release dates. The Crystal Chronicles remastered finally has a release date. Uh, for August 27th. It feels like it's been years since that thing's been in development. I'm curious if this was like always the intended development cycle or if it has like dragged on long even for what Square Enix would find appropriate for that game. In some ways it's like it's a port, it should be fairly easy. They're not really even like revamping the the graphical quality of the game per se. I mean it's running in HD obviously. Uh but they are adding a lot of new content too and they're and they're changing how the multiplayer works. They're making it an online multiplayer game which you know before you had the local multiplayer with all the Game Boy advances hooked up and you know how progression worked in that game actually was kind of interesting. Uh, because you kind of transferred characters over from me- other memory cards, and then you kind of just tagged along for somebody else's adventure kind of thing, even though you're still building your own characters. You can kind of move characters between different files and things like that. Um, so I was curious how they're going to handle that for the for the online mode. Um, so I'm guessing that was probably somewhat of a challenge. I don't know if, that, if they expected it to take as long as it did, but it feels like it's been forever. Uh, I'm definitely going to pick that game up, and I'm really glad it has cross-platform play. A lot of the problem I had with that game initially was I had half my friends saying they're getting it on Switch, half my friends saying they're getting it on PS4, and I was like, uh, I'd rather get it on PS4 just because most third-party games I expect to run better on PS4. There are some exceptions. Um, I did pick up the, uh, the Switch version of Blaster Master Zero, but so far what Integrates has done on the Switch has been, you know, solid at least as far as I can tell, technically running great. I mean, they're essentially 3DS games in some ways in terms of its aesthetic. Um, um, I'm guessing they're still using that same engine that they built for for uh, Gunvolt, but then, you know, upgrading it as they bring it forward onto on the Switch. Um, but, but 
yeah, it's a, I, I went ahead and picked that, that up on there. I guess if, if I, I don't have it on my list here, but if you didn't hear Blaster Master Zero uh, this month, you can pre-order physical copies for Blaster Master Zero 1 and 2. Oddly enough, it's not one package. It's actually two packages you have to buy separately. Uh, and they're 30 bucks each, so it's 60 bucks for both of them. Uh, but they do include all the downloadable content that's been released to this point. So at the same time, even though it's 30 bucks, I think it's probably generally... A decent value now whether or not i'm gonna actually play that dlc eh, but but it's there if it's if it's interesting enough i i like inti creates and how it develops its characters and makes them unique so if they made those characters unique enough between in that particular game then then i'm interested if it's just like an aesthetic redesign of the character then you know i i think you know the little empress tank is cute from from dragon mark for death the shante tank is cute but if that's just the the fact that they look the same then and, and and generally feel the same, then I don't think I have a ton of interest in playing that DLC. Uh, that being said, when will I actually play Blaster Master Zero Two? Who can say? <laughs> I think I'll be more likely to play Blaster Master Zero One in the near future, more than anything. So, so yeah. But I did go ahead and pre-order b- both of those. I really don't like. It, it does bother me. I know. I know. In the case of like limited run games. Most of the games that are being on there probably wouldn't get a physical release, or a large majority of them at least. Um, And so it's like, it is a little frustrating that it's like, oh, you know, I want to get Blastmaster Zero 1 now physical, but if I want to get Blastmaster Zero 2 later, I know it's going to be... It's very likely it's going to be very expensive, and and, and, uh, it's, it's, it's just a little frustrating that you can't... It's like you have this one window of time to buy it, and then after that, you're just like, okay, time to go in the scalper's market. Versus, I guess, like with older games, you typically had a game that like existed on the market for multiple years before it really saw any kind of like significant upcreep in, in, in price or anything like that. At the end of the day, though, they're available via download, so if I really cared, I can just buy them on the internet <laughs> uh, or download them without getting the physical copy, so... So I, I can't complain too much. I did miss that Panther Dragon uh, remake physical copy, unfortunately. I still need to buy that as well uh, digitally. They added some some Episode Zero recently as well. I don't know if that's anything of value or if it's based off like any kind of unused content or anything like that. Like, you know, with uh, Xenoblade Chronicles and how that's using the Bionis' shoulder. So... So, yeah, I need to pick up that game and just play through it. It's a short game, too, I imagine, because that original game was not very long. <laughs> In some, in some more downer news, uh, so if you were, have been listening to this podcast for a while, you know for a while we, we covered the, the <laughs> development troubles of Love Plus Every uh, and how that game was delayed for, I think, multiple years. And then when it came out, it came out real bad. And then they had to <laughs> shut it down for a while and then try to fix it. And then uh, and it and eventually launched and then it kind of just like disappeared from the, from the conversation and now it's popped up the conversation again because it's shutting down in August. So rest in peace, Love Plus Every. I haven't really looked at that game too much. Um, I, I do know, I think his name's Tom. He's like some, some guy who does some localization work on, on games. He, he was playing it. I follow him on Twitter. Um, I didn't follow him too closely, but I, I, he did mention this news story and mentioned that the gotcha mechanics just really didn't fit the game very well. Uh, but I, I don't really know enough about it to say anything. 
to be honest with you. But it is kind of sad to see it go so quickly. It is interesting to see like when a mobile game comes out and then shuts down between like six months and a year. It's a little sad. I think it was like Terra Wars or something like that came out and like five months later, they're like, sorry guys, didn't work out. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a little sad to see that. Hopefully people are doing their diligence on getting that backed up, preserved for the future Love Plus Museum will need. In, in dedication to that series. I uh, still need to play normal Love Plus. I'll say this every time Love Plus comes up, I need to commit to that game. <laughs> it would have been great, honestly, to commit to it while I was working from home 24-7, and I still can work home, actually, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably going to do more 50-50 kind of working at home kind of thing. Um, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of my job can be done not in the office. So um, I would rather generally try to avoid unnecessary contact with people but I, I'm not gonna sit there and be like I'm not going to the office even if I need to to save myself <laughs> um, um, honestly more more than anything I'm worried about other people in my work uh, but but yeah anyways so but yeah love plus would have been great for that period and maybe I can maybe I can still shove some love plus into my my quarantine life if I if I continue to ch shut myself at home so so yeah rest in peace love plus I hope Konami gives you another chance it seems like such a fun fun game series and it's a shame that it seems to continue to run into problems um and i don't know if there's really been a a successful love plus since love plus plus on the ds uh and unfortunately only the original love plus has been fan translated as far as i know uh, i know people were working on the 3ds game for a while i don't know if that made any progress some of those fan translations you look them up and five years later it's like ah there's a guy somewhere who looked at it two months ago and was like, hmm, this is hard to do. <laughs> so, so yeah. A couple of, of next-gen game update stuff here. Uh, basically, just kind of two different things coming up for PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X. Uh, Xbox Series X is more about the backwards compatibility portion of the uh, the, the system and basically saying they can they can provide enhancements for those games. Uh, I think this is something that the Xbox One X did as well. Basically say they can increase the frame rate, uh, also add some HDR support uh, to some games and things like that. So it's it seems, you know, it seems like a nice option if you haven't gotten an Xbox Series X. It's, you know, also Microsoft's been doing, you know, good work on getting Xbox 360 games up and running on their system, as well as original Xboxes in, in some case. I don't know if that's been updated recently at all. I know last year at E3, they're like, hey, after two human, we're taking a break, focusing on the next platform rather than, you know, trying to get these other games uh, uh, put out. Um, I recently saw a video that talked a little bit about the Xbox 360 backwards compatibility and was surprised just how many titles are supported. I think it's like half the library, half the original Xbox library is, which was kind of shocking to me. I, I thought it was much more limited than that. Um, but, but yeah, the thing with backwards compatibility and Hey, this is usually something for the end of the video, but we'll talk about it right now is sometimes backwards compatibility is not an end all be all solution for games. <laughs> it's like, it's great to have. I love that some, some platforms give you extra benefits of running their own or running on newer platforms and things like that. But, uh, it does cause problems with some, some older games, sometimes graphical glitches, sometimes audio stuff. Basically you, you can't ever be certain that the game's running how it's supposed to run. So there is some, some value of keeping that original hardware. So if you didn't know, and, and we're just gonna talk about it now, uh, this week on Tuesday, so tomorrow, uh, I was able to put together a video fairly quickly about the PlayStation 2's backwards compatibility. And it's not an in-depth video or anything like that. This is really, for better, for 
lack of a better word, a filler video. I didn't get, you know, close to finishing the video I was working on. So I went ahead and put this thing together in like two and a half days. I was actually very surprised, at A, how well it turned out, and B, how quickly it turned out. Um, but, but basically it's a video that just talks a little bit about the PlayStation 2's backwards compatibility, um, as well as documenting some two, or documenting two specific examples that I had, uh, run into in, in recent years. Um, and also just kind of talking about kind of the state of the information on the internet a little bit about PlayStation 2's backwards compatibility. Um, but yeah, the, kind of the overall story of that video is that backwards compatibility is great in some cases and also not great in other cases. So, so having documentation of, of what these issues are about a game is, is super handy. And, and, and hopefully, you know, it seems like Wikipedia is probably the most the best source right now for that stuff, but the accuracy of it is a bit weird. Some of the sources are just like somebody making a forum post 10 years ago and, and not really detailing a lot of information. So there's a lot to be desired in terms of kind of the information that's on the internet. So you can find that on Tuesday or tomorrow um, if you're listening to this on the Monday it comes out. The other bit of next-gen information here is that we're finally getting a PlayStation 5 event uh, on June 4th at 1 p.m. Pacific time. So I'm super glad we're finally getting here. And it's not like I'm very excited for the PlayStation 5. I, I'm not really... I'm, I'm very hesitant to say I'll actually get any sort of next-gen console immediately up front. Like, it would be cool, but, you know, unless there's a game that particularly catches my eye, uh, I've got plenty of things to keep me busy. Uh, Xenoblade Chronicles X is still going to be my 2015 JRPG of the year, not in terms of quality, but in terms of playtime. I'm going to be playing this game all year, probably. <laughs> um, anyways, but, but yeah, I'm just kind of happy we're finally getting to the point that we're seeing stuff for these consoles i'm i've been a little i guess annoyed by the trickle of information how slow it's been like i get it i guess like video games generally are having less and less of a lead time on you know when things are announced and when they come out and i will say there's are times that i am a little frustrated when something gets announced a little too early like square enix games in particular it's like here's kingdom hearts 3 Six years later, okay, we're putting it out. <laughs> I actually don't know what the gap was, but I think everybody knows the, the Square Enix uh, development timeline, very public development timeline. In some ways, it's cool, though. Like, as much as I'm annoyed by it sometimes, it's cool to see, like, a game so early on and then get to see, like, the differences between, like, where it ended up at the end. And so I think that's, like, the earlier something's announced, the more valuable that information is. Where if you just get, like, something announced a week beforehand, you're not going to get any, like, pre like like alpha builds or anything that you're seeing or so so it's kind of it's kind of fun that you get more of a narrative about about how a game's developed so i'm kind of two minds of it because sometimes i can lose interest in a game if it takes too long monster hunter 4 is one in particular i was really excited to pick up monster hunter 4 when it was originally announced then it took like two three years i think for monster hunter 4 ultimate to get localized to come out in the u.s um which obviously you know in japan they had two different versions of the game in that time frame and stuff like that I am very aware of like what the timeline is on on my interest for games uh, often, uh, but but I'm glad we're finally here. I'm curious to see what's going to come out. I'm sure we'll talk about it on next week's podcast, unless it's just like a complete non non game thing. So so yeah, I hope Microsoft is is coming up soon with some other things. I know they said Halo is going to be in July. Um, it seems like a big gap for for Sony to do their PS5 event in June and then Microsoft to basically be quiet until July. Um, you know, obviously they had their, their event like, uh, a few weeks ago 
at this point. The problem was that event was like pitched as a gameplay event. Most of the games weren't showing gameplay. They were just showing, um, you know, things that were rendered in engine, but not, um, not something somebody actually playing a game with the exception of a, a few of them like the the bandai namco game scarlet scarlet something i forget forget the name of it already scarlet something um and then uh and then so it seems like a long time to wait till july to show off the first party stuff for microsoft but we'll see we'll see it just it, i just it, it seems so late to be talking about this stuff i i kind of wish we we were here two or three months ago at this point. I thought like the PS4 was like a good timeline where like in February we were talking about the platforms like in depth at that point. Uh, and then and then kind of E3 was like the the, the video game time. Uh, obviously we have some stuff about, about the PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X that was coming out, you know, since February. But I guess the other part to factor into this is the coronavirus stuff. <laughs> I, I, I guess that probably threw some wrenches and some plans. Forgot about that. Forgot about the death plague out there. Um, uh, but yeah, a couple other things here that aren't really news stories, but, uh, kind of related to some of the developers that I, that I particularly have an interest in, or, or I guess one developer that I was not aware I had a particular interest in. Uh, one is that, uh, there's this, the studio called first studio at Bandai Namco and, uh, they, they made Damon X Machina. And I, I, I liked, I like the look of David X Machina and I, and hopefully that's how I pronounce it. Um, I like the look of it and I, and I played the original demo. I don't think I played the second demo, Play, played the original one. I think I actually streamed it too. Did not love how that game felt. Admittedly, I'm not an Armored Core fan. I'm not saying I don't like Armored Core. I just haven't had any experience with it. Um, and, and I did not like how that game felt in the, the short time I spent with it. And I kind of pushed it off because of that. I don't know if I'll get back to it. It's a game I'd like to check out, but you know. You don't play Chronicles X. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, so apparently this this studio, it's like a bunch of people behind games that I'm actually like pretty interested in. There's people from Kavia who, you know, worked on Nier, uh, Resident Evil Dark Side Chronicles, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex on the PS2. There's some people from Field Plus that made Mind Jack. I think they made some RPGs too, like uh, Lost Odyssey. Although I think Lost Odyssey, was that also a Mistwalker thing? No, no, Mistwalker was was uh, Blue Dragon. I think Lost Odyssey is just Field Plus. There's also some people from Artune as well that apparently also worked on the last story. This much I didn't know. This is from a Silicon Era article that's talking about this developer and just like talking about their history. And it, it, it's kind of kind of interesting to see. And one other thing that they worked on was uh, uh, Monster Hunter Stories, which I haven't played through yet, but from what I've played of that game is pretty rad. So this is a developer I'm probably going to be keeping my eye on as much as possible in the future. Um, it does make me more interested in Damon X Machina, for sure. Uh, whether I get around to it, we'll, we'll see. Um, but, but yeah, I want to, I want to keep an eye on them in the future. And, and it's, it's good to know that a lot of these people who worked on a lot of these kind of weird B style games, I guess, um, um, are, are, have a place to go right now or, or, or able to, to form, form a studio. So I'm pretty excited to see what they do in the future. And the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly, and, and just as a heads up, I, I am getting Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. I think it comes out on Monday, so I'm going to try to start Future Connected this week. But uh, but Monolith Soft had an interview they put out recently that kind of talked about the founding of the company uh, in relation to uh, Xenogears and and what the Square Enix's goals, or Square's goals at the time were, rather. Um, and, and then they kind of pushed it off because they wanted to invest money into um, uh, Spirits Within. But one thing that was mentioned is that 
the formation of Monolith Soft was basically the goal to make a Xenogears 2, which, you know, ultimately resulted in Xenosaga um, and, and that stuff. If you don't know, Xenogears is a game with a pretty rough ending. Um, it it, it kind of does a very fast track story summation of, of probably like another 30 to 40 hours worth of content and shoves it into like 10 hours. Uh, and then Xenosaga was, I think, envisioned as a six-part epic, and then it was uh, uh, cut down to three parts and kind of left on, I don't know if a cliffhanger is the right word, but it was kind of left in a, a position that felt very much like, this is the last one they are aware they're going to make, but it's open enough that if they can, if three succeeds, then they can continue with Xenosaga 4. And obviously that didn't happen, they got bought by Nintendo, and then they they went off and, and did their other thing there. Um and I think part of this interview from what I was reading was in some ways their goal is still to make Xenogears 2. Uh, and that, that Xenoblade is kind of a prototype for that in some ways. And I think you can definitely look at Xenoblade Chronicles 2 and see what it was doing with the story and and see that. They were wrapping in references to Xenosaga and, and uh, I don't know if anything was specific to Xenogears. I'm sure somebody out there knows. Uh, where the original Xenoblade Chronicles was not even a Xeno game in the first place. It was called Monado, Beginning of the New World. Um, and and so I think they're trying to kind of wrap all this stuff into the the series, the, the one Xeno game they did find success with, I guess two now at this point. Um, I, I, Xenoblade Chronicles X found, found success too, but uh, it seems like they're trying to back the Xenoblade series into a more comfortable spot with the into a spot that's more in line with uh, Xenosaga and Xenoblade. And I, I, I had this opinion at the time, and, I, and I, I'm pretty sure I wrote an article about it, and I'll link it in the description. Um, but I really think the, sh the strength of Xenoblade was not going for that stuff and, and really just trying to build a standalone world. I know I've said this 30 billion times probably. I really think the strength of Xenoblade was the fact that it was not built with the Xeno series in mind. It was built as a separate game. And, you know, they do have similar themes and things like that. There's there's definitely things there. And they kind of self-encompass it in one game. Um, and I think they do it in a very, very complete way where that game kind of opens and closes its story in a very strong way. Um, and, and Xenoblade Chronicles 2 is very much trying to break that open. Um, and so seeing them saying, we want to do this with the Xeno series and bring back the Xeno Gears and Xeno Saga relation, or at least ideas from that, um, <laughs> it makes me, I don't know if unhappy is the right word, but it's not really where I want the series to go. <laughs> um, you know, I'm always going to say new IP. Monolith Soft needs new IP is what I want. And uh, I think that's not going to really happen, or at least not happen on a regular basis, given the success of Xenoblade. Um, you know, why throw away that built-in uh, strength? Although I think Monolith Soft as a name, uh, as a developer, is a lot stronger these days. So they probably could piggyback into a new IP fairly easily or px at least some of that success to a new ip fairly easily um but yeah i just <laughs> i kind of wish they wouldn't do what they're trying to do <laughs> and I, i'm really mixed on xenoblade chronicles future connected because um i really think that game is probably going to try its best to to tie up the connections that they tried to make with xenoblade chronicles 1 with xenoblade chronicles 2 uh but was was very obviously connections that were made post Xenoblade Chronicles 1 story development. There's a lot of stuff in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 that doesn't really make sense in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, and they say, like, this happened in Xenoblade Chronicles 1, even though it really didn't happen. Um, and and I'm assuming they're, they're 
shoving these things together. And and I really hope, you know, at the end of the day, if they can pull it off, if they can do what they want to, like, complete what they want to complete and do it in a great way, fantastic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm super glad for them. I will play it. I don't... I don't dislike what Xenogears and Xenosaga were doing per se, but it was overly ambitious and 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 a developer who's already, I feel like, too ambitious with their games at times um, in a way that I feel like it isolates a lot of people from playing their games. Um, although Xenoblade Chronicles 2 did a lot better than I expected it to. But anyways, um, I, I kind of feel like chasing the forbidden fruit at this point will only hurt them again. Um... I don't. I don't hold the Xenogears and Xenosaga franchises in the same light as other people. I feel like, um, and and it's a little hard for me to to love that they're trying to bring that that back in that way. But hey, you know, I will say this: I love Marvelous Soft for their battle system. I really like their characters. I'm the rare person that seems like that likes the Xenoblade Chronicles one characters. I thought that they were good, but in the last. You know, pretty much since Xenoblade Chronicles 2, I've been hearing that most people think that the characters are bad in Xenoblade Chronicles 1. So apparently I was wrong about how people feel about it. <laughs> I feel like I'm having a very near-like moment where when Nier Automata was announced, uh, I heard everything about how bad Nier was from people that liked Nier. And I was like, but Nier's such a good game. What is wrong with you? <laughs> and and apparently what's wrong with you is that I'm wrong. Um, or 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 I have a different opinion than you. Uh, and I feel that kind of way with Xenoblade Chronicles in some ways. I, I feel like I've also kind of, for better or for worse, started pushing away the kind of idea that I'm a Xeno fan and more that I'm just a Monolith Soft fan. Trying to protect that that hipster status by by praising their other games that are not successful, I guess. I don't know, but but yeah, I am. I definitely feel a lip a bit more distant from I guess the Xeno fan base in the same way that I think I feel a bit more distant from the Near fan base at this point. Where it's like, oh, we clearly have different opinions on how these games came to be and and what was successful about them. Uh, and, and just saying that we enjoyed them and liked them and that they were good games was clearly not enough detail for us to truly understand what each other were saying and liking about the game. So one, one interesting point is I was watching Digital Foundry's Xenoblade Chronicles comparison video, uh, and the, the whole point with their video is basically the game looks more like the Wii game than you'd expect. I personally kind of expected it to not look great from what those trailers I saw. I mean, I was looking at the environments of those games. I was like, hmm, those kind of look like the Wii environments. Pretty dang close. Um, uh, in some ways, when I was looking at some of the comparisons, like the Switch version actually kind of looks worse in some ways. Um, but anyways, it, it looks perfectly fine. Like if, if you're not seeing them side by side, you're not... There are technical issues with the Switch version of that game, but it's unrelated to to my feelings about how the the two different games look compared to each other. It's a perfectly fine looking game. You'll play it and it'll be fine, uh, unless you're like I don't want I want the game to be running at 1080p. There's the whole resolution swapping thing from Xenoblade Chronicles 2 still in here. There are issues with the game. Just go look at it. I'm not going to sit here and explain it anymore because words. Uh, I d it would not bother me playing that game how it is, um, or at least I would not expect it to bother me. But anyways, in that video, I thought they've made a really, really easy and concise way to put the original character models of that game is that they're very Vagrant Story-esque. And I was like, that actually is maybe the most perfect way to sum up the original art style for that game in terms of the characters. I know people are going to sit there, like, I, I'm... I'm not going to get into it. There's there's a whole argument about what game looks better. It doesn't matter. It's personal preference. It's, it's a different looking style, yes. Does it work better or worse one way or the other? Most people seem to like the anime way. People liked it in Xenoblade Chronicles 2. That's perfectly fine. The game, like, I think 
in some ways, that's a more modern approach to the type of visual style that Monolith Soft is going for, where stuff like the original Xenoblade was probably more in line with like what the PS2 era was doing with uh, with with uh, anime aesthetics, where it's like these character models that are somewhat realistic, but bring in elements of the anime aesthetic and, and aren't doing cell shading per se, but are, are you know, bringing in, you know, the, the exaggerated uh, facial features and things like that. And Xenoblade Chronicles obviously has its own like unique look. And I think, you know, when you compare it to something like a Vagrant Story, Vagrant Story does aim for a more um, realistic look than I think than Xenoblade Chronicles 1 did. I think Xenoblade Chronicles 1 leaned a little bit more into its, its I guess, anime roots. <laughs> um, um, but, but yeah, I, I think that calling it Vagrant Story-esque was probably the best way I could think of those character models being summed up. So, yeah. Monolith, it's complicated. We're going to talk about Monolith next week, hopefully, depending on how much I play of Xenoblade Chronicles. Future Connected. That's it for this week. Thanks for coming. Uh, as I mentioned, I have a video coming out tomorrow about the PlayStation 2's backwards compatibility. Again, it's just kind of an in-between video because I couldn't get my other video done in time, but I think it turned out very good. So I would encourage you to watch it. Hopefully you enjoy it. Uh, just kind of details my existing issues with PlayStation 2 backwards compatibility in terms of researching for games about what, what runs on what well, and then also the uh, the actual issues I've run into in a couple of games uh, that that I've noticed and, and, and thankfully have a PlayStation 1 to compare to. So, so yeah. In terms of what's coming up next, I'm going to go ahead and keep the current back and forth style I've been doing with podcasts and videos. So the focus for next month will be the PCFX podcast. For sure. Focusing on that. We'll get that done. <laughs> um, um, unless something comes up, that will be the plan. Um, obviously, I'm planning around another person as well. I've been the one who's been lacking on this side. <laughs> so so it's been mostly me, but I don't want to, like, you know, force somebody else to have to make time if they're if they're busy or anything like that. So, so that will be the goal for right now. Um, and I will update you if anything changes. Uh, and then after that, there will be the Wizard of Oz video. Then after that, I'll try to figure out a podcast situation. I don't really know what's after that. I haven't really thought about the podcast of the future. Um, I kind of built up an idea of podcasts I wanted to do like six months ago. And then now we're finally hitting the end of that. So got to figure out the next one. Um, in terms of streams, uh, I did. Uh, I played Ninja Box uh, last week um, for the Nintendo Switch. It's like a weird tower defense Minecraft game. I did not get very far in the stream. And I will say, if you want to know what Ninja Box is, I don't think it's a good video for understanding what ninja box is you'll see some of the parts of the game but we don't really get deep enough for me to really say anything about the game so so i would say um i would say if you're just you know if you just enjoy watching the streams it is a fun stream to see you get to see a game that doesn't really have a lot of coverage on youtube there's a couple of gameplay chunks out there and some trailers and things like that uh, but there's not really any lengthy gameplay. We spent about uh, two hours with it, and then I played a, a couple of other Japanese games I had on the Switch, and then also Tower of Juraga for the GameCube, which I uh, which I had mentioned before. Uh, what's coming up next week is we're going to start playing Disaster Day of Crisis, um, which, speaking of Monolith Soft, is a Monolith Soft game. So so we're going to start streaming that. I think the game's about eight hours long, so so it'd probably take about a month for us to get through it, maybe a little shorter than that. Um I also have the Japanese version as well here. We're going to be playing the English version on stream, the, the release for Europe, which is the version I've already played through. Um, but I'm on the side, I'm also going to be doing the Japanese version as well. And I'm hoping to get a comparison video um, or, or some kind of comparison content about that game at some point. Um, and then also in looking into that, I actually found that there's 
quite a bit of information that I have seen in the past about the game that either hasn't really been talked about on the internet or um, is no longer on the internet. Um, and I think I know someone I can try to reach out to um, to figure out where I can get the stuff that's been removed from the internet. And the other stuff, I'll just have to figure out the best way to present it. Um, any kind of Disaster Day of Crisis content probably isn't going to be showing up outside of the stream. Um, probably isn't going to be showing up for months and months and months. Um, if it doesn't work out, then it may not show up at all. But just wanted to let you know that it is something I'm looking at possibly doing. I will say I like Disaster Day of Crisis a lot. It was a fun game at the time. I will not say it's a great game. But it's an interesting game, um, so so we'll talk about it more at some point, I'm sure. Uh, but if you want to come watch that stream, that'll be Thursday at uh, 7 p.m. Pacific time, and I expect it to be the next like three or four streams we'll be playing through the game, and then from there, whatever content that comes up about the Disaster of Crisis, I'll post on the website. So, anyways, thank you so much for coming. OneControlPro.com is the website, and I hope you have a great week. Bye.